Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for jumping on board. I welcome in my old Locked On Podcast Network colleague, Zach Goodall, who covers Jacksonville as host of Locked On Jaguars. And great to talk to you, Zach. And is it my imag- imagination or the Texans and the Jags? It seems like they're always swapping players for e- via free agency. Yeah, I mean, when you look at this Texan secondary right now, a solid, you know, 50% of it is former Jaguar starters. And I guess, you know, that really makes up for the giant deal that the Jaguars gave A.J. Bouye a couple years ago. So it all works out in the end, right? <laughs> works out for you guys. It doesn't seem to work out for us. <laughs> I, I, I do think Deshaun Gibson's going to be a really solid player for Houston, especially replacing Tyron Matthew. Gibson's a good player. He became overlooked in Jacksonville because that's what happens when you've got Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boye as your one-two punch on the outside. But he's a rangy safety. You can play him in a lot of different ways, whether you're playing too deep or let him play alone in the back. But people don't really realize in the past two times the Jaguars played the Patriots, week two of 2018, AFC Championship in 2017, Rob Gronkowski was a total non-factor. And typically for that to happen, teams double team. That wasn't the case. Jacksonville put 5'11", 200-pound Deshaun Gibson on him in man coverage on the vast majority of snaps. And I think he was limited to like three or four receptions in the two games combined. He was a total non-factor. So definitely something to keep an eye on with his ability to take on tight ends. But in a secondary that, you know, admittedly doesn't have as much ball hawking talent as what Jacksonville provides – I think Gibson's going to come in and be an immediate playmaker. Why exactly did Jacksonville decide that they didn't want to keep him around? It, it was simply because of the money. Quite frankly, they went into last offseason knowing that within the next year, they were going to have to make some cap casualties, whether or not it was to specifically go after Nick Foles. That's just how it worked out. Uh, obviously, we don't know when they decided to really ramp up their interest there. But I mean, they drafted Taven Bryan over an immediate need at right guard or a quarterback in Lamar Jackson for that matter, simply because they knew despite Malik Jackson being a top 10 pressure getter among all NFL defensive tackles for several years, including this past one, that his cap hit in 2019 and beyond was too much to be able to be players to improve this team through free agency, which they seem to want to do every single year. And so they let him go uh, with the plan to start Brian. They really like Gerard Wilson, who was an undrafted free agent safety that the analytics department was a huge part of scouting a couple years ago. They gave him an extension for a little bit more than what you'd typically give a special teamer back in January. And that was kind of the, you know, the nail in the coffin almost for Gibson. Not that, you know, they viewed him in a bad light, but they thought with the talent they have in the secondary in Ramsey Boye, second year safety Ronnie Harrison, who came in and took Barry Church's job halfway through the year. Nickel corner DJ Hayden, who kind of resurrected his career here in Jacksonville, they knew there wouldn't be too much of a drop off to go to a guy they trust in Wilson, who's been in the scheme for a couple of years, in which case they saved seven point five million dollars that they put towards Wolves and these other players contracts that they just signed. So a little bit bittersweet. They found a way to use that money in a bit of a better way. But at the same time, I don't think that was any, you know, slight at Gibson's talent. What kind of personality and leader is Gibson with all the personalities that Jacksonville have in the locker room? Did he, is, is he somebody that stuck out? 
Not really. You know, I interviewed him when he first came to Jacksonville and he was a real standout guy, uh, team first in the way he came off. Uh, I spoke with him when they the night they drafted Jalen Ramsey just a month after they signed him. Uh, there was a lot of speculation that Ramsey was going to be a safety, uh, not as much a cornerback until the Jaguars put him at cornerback. And Gibson welcomed the challenge if it was to be, you know, competing at safety with him or seeing a lot of his reps, you know, being given to Ramsey if he played safety at all. But also was there to say, hey, like, I'm also going to help you in any way, shape or form, whether you're a safety, whether you're a cornerback, you know, let's just become the best defensive back group in the NFL. That's exactly how he went about it. And over time, he started to kind of get a little quieter with the media in his first year. I think there was some just jabs thrown because there was a couple of dropped interceptions uh, in what was just a very bad year for the Jaguars defense as a whole. After that, you know, he went pretty quiet on social media, didn't do too many interviews. But when the team got back up and rolling, uh, there are quotes that came from him during last year's playoffs that I'd have to pull up, but it was widely known that he was one of the vocal leaders of a really young, energetic defensive secondary. So he was well-respected in that aspect. Nick Foles, you make the big deal to get him. What were your thoughts when that happened? Did you like the money? Did you like the contract? Do you like Foles? I do like Foles. I think that he's definitely an upgrade. I was in the camp of going after a rookie quarterback in Dwayne Haskins, who I think will be there at seven. And if not, I would have traded up for him because of working on a rookie quarterback deal in comparison to what Foles is making is just absurd. And the, what you could have done with that money instead would have been fantastic. But that's not as that's not to discredit Foles either, because I think that he's going to come and fit right in with what they've actually been trying to do on offense for the past couple of years. I don't think we'll see a ton of drastic changes to the concepts that they run. And I think, he, you know, he's an accurate passer in the short to intermediate game. And they've developed a lot of weapons there that you didn't really get to see used to their full potential with Blake Bortles as the quarterback. But I think he and Didi Westbrook are going to become best friends right out the gate in the passing game. I think we'll see a lot of growth out of DJ Chark in the role they tried to put him in. Uh, obviously, the guys that they're going to continue to add will help as well. I just hope that there was other teams truly in the market because there's been conflicting reports, in which case, you know, that makes a lot more sense to inflate his value to around twenty two million dollars a year rather than the originally reported 18 to 19 million dollar range. But for a quarterback of Foles' caliber and resume, you'd have to figure there would be. He came out and said there were about five teams that reached out. So. You can't get upset with it going up a couple million with there being a market there. And in the end, Jacksonville landed a quarterback that they view as the franchise. Is there still a chance that they could draft a quarterback? So there's a lot of debate going on with this uh, amongst Jaguars, Twitter and fans as a whole. I understand the idea of it, especially if Haskins is there. They've done a ton of research on Haskins. And to my knowledge, they really like him, including just, you know, who I've heard some has gone to some of his games. They were up there five or six times in 2018 to watch him alone. But at the end of the day, this team knows that their jobs are on the line at this point. They've got at most two years to get this thing turned around with Foles and the deal they gave him because it's essentially got an out after two years. So that might have given this staff the chance to uh, get through two more years. I don't think they can take a premium seventh overall pick to draft a backup who at this point just unless it was an injury to Foles, wouldn't have any imp impact on games through the two years that they're trying to save their own jobs. So as much as I'd love that idea, 
and truly developing him behind a guy like Nick Foles, who's just all class, all character, a really smart guy through the next two years, kind of like an Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre deal. That would be ideal in a perfect world. I just don't think Jacksonville's living in that world right now. Does Foles have enough to work with weapons wise? <laughs> no, <laughs> um, they, he's got a couple. Like I said, I think Westbrook is an underrated receiver at this point. Uh, I think we're going to see an even bigger jump in production from him. He fits exactly what they tried to get out of Golden Tate and Nelson Aguilar with Foles in Philadelphia in a West Coast style of offense as a possession receiver. And that's going to be his favorite target out of the guys that are on the roster right now. I think there's a lot of potential for Chark, but we haven't seen that yet. Uh, he didn't get a ton of playing time as a rookie, and they're looking to expand on that uh, next year. I think Chris Conley was a nice get. He also didn't you know, reach his potential from the athletic freak standpoint that you know he has. He, he tested in the top 90 percentile in uh, jumps and running uh, at the NFL Combine when he was – uh, there a couple years ago. So we haven't seen the production level meet what the hope was for him out of a prospect. So they've got a lot of potential with their receivers and only one guy that's starting to become a bit proven. So you're going to want to see a jump there at tight end. I'm being honest with you. I think you and I could go into training camp and earn a job at tight end for the Jaguars at this point. They have no one really worth much on the roster. They signed Jeff Swaim, who replaced Jason Witten in Dallas. And one year later, Jason Witten had to come out of retirement just to try and fix that tight end position. So that tells us a lot about what they thought at that position. I think they're really going to try to solidify it. I think TJ Hawkinson at seventh overall would make a ton of sense. And I wouldn't be shocked if they drafted two tight ends at this point. Leonard Fournette, you have to hope he bounces back. I think they'll try and add a pass catching running back to be a compliment to him and quite honestly, maybe prioritize an undrafted free agent that meets what Fournette tries to do as a power runner in case Fournette doesn't get back to the shape he was as a rookie. There's just a lot of work that they still need to do. And that really is what keeps me from thinking they'll try and prioritize another quarterback early on when they've got to add a lot to make this offense as successful as it can be with Nick Foles. Were you expecting more in free agency from the Texans? Absolutely. Uh, and I saw that on the second wave, I think that they were starting to host some offensive linemen. I believe Aaron Wilson said uh, Donald Penn. I could be mistaken, um, but I think that's a good move in the second wave. I'm shocked that they didn't do more in the first wave when it came to the offensive line, because we talked about this all the time with Locked On is that Deshaun Watson, as good as he is, like you can't let him keep running for his life at this point. And I think I saw that. I mean, it, it's not now that the Texans should take an offensive tackle early on. It's that they absolutely have to. So you've got to you've got to try and find a way to protect him. You can't let him keep taking hits like he has, especially he, he has knee injuries from the past. Uh, obviously, his rookie year, sometime in college. You don't want that to keep happening, and you need to get him some protection to let him grow as a pocket passer as well. So I was a bit surprised that they didn't go after more uh, offensive linemen in free agency and ways to truly build around him. But you got to hope that they can do that now that they have a first round pick, unlike last year. It's so hard. You know, offensive line are always too expensive for who they are in free agency. So you go, okay, well, 
I'm going to go after somebody, but then you start looking at the price and you're wondering, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to get myself in cap trouble? And, you know, you guys tried that last year. Do you feel like it was worth it? You know, you tried to grab an offensive high priced offensive lineman. I think so, because Jacksonville's found a way to manipulate the cap and essentially all of the contracts they hand out are two year deals, two to three at max. Uh, They find a way to, you know, convert a lot of guarantees into a signing bonus. So it doesn't drastically affect their cap numbers and guarantees for the most part are out of the way by year two, uh, year three range. So they found a way to, you know, fill an immediate hole by spending, maybe over overspending, but then they find a way to go and draft replacements later on. And it sometimes comes as unexpected Malik Jackson. It's probably the best way to look at it because no one thought they were going defensive tackle at 29 last year. They did, and now they've got a guy coming and playing at one fifteenth of the cap number that Malik Jackson had for 2019 and Taven Bryan. And I think Jacksonville is going to start looking to do that on the offensive line sooner than later. Um, but it's a, something that I think teams need to take a look at as a whole when they build their cap up to be able to freely spend as much as teams like, you know, the Colts had the opportunity to do that, and they didn't really do that this offseason. But that Colts team still needs a lot of talent. And I think they could have, you know, taken a lesson from the Jaguars book in, you know, spending and structuring these deals in a way to where if you're good at drafting, you can find yourself a way to get out of financial trouble despite overspending on guys. What did you make of the Ryan Tannehill deal? They now have two quarterbacks that can play eight games a year. So all in all, I mean, they've got 16 games of QB play, but um, Mariota struggled recently. I had a lot of hope for him coming in and being a pretty good quarterback from what I saw in his rookie year, but his injury issues are scary. The idea that he wasn't able to feel his fingers for the longest time last year as a thrower is scary no matter what. And I think they needed a legitimate insurance plan being able to restructure with uh, Tannehill. He doesn't have that drastic of a cap hit to move on from Blaine Gabbert in and of itself is a win. Uh, But I think they've got a serviceable guy that they can rely on if they need to with Mariota, but this off season is going, no, this season for that matter is going to be really telling for Tennessee on whether or not they need to hit on a quarterback again, maybe in 2020 with what looks to be a pretty strong class, or if Mariota can really turn things around or the third option being what if Ryan Tannehill can resurrect his career, they have options, but I think these options are all insurance at this point. When you look at the division right now, did anything change much with the movement in free agency or does it just feel like that these teams are almost where they were last year? Maybe the Jags can move it back closer to 500 with uh, the Nick Foles uh, at quarterback uh, deal. I think Jacksonville is very capable with the talent they have on their roster to get back to 500, but they need to be able to do more. And this draft is going to be crucial. A lot of fans are saying maybe they should consider a defensive player at seventh overall, but at this point, no defensive player you're taking at seventh overall is unseating Yannicking. I mean, the positions that they'd have to hit on is a defensive end, and that defensive end is going to be a backup to Campbell or Ngakwe at this point. And that's not where the need is. The need is on offense. So I think there's a lot of guys that can step in and make an immediate impact on offense at that seventh overall pick, as well as a bit into day two. And if Jacksonville sees it the same way, I think they can put themselves back into consideration for you know, maybe competing within this division, maybe not being a strong AFC contender, but at least, you know, finding a way to compete in this division. This offensive line class is looking to be a very good one. Uh, Some tackles have really risen up. 
uh, boards over the past couple of months. The interior class gets really, really strong on day two. And if Houston is looking to build this offensive line through the draft, this is the year to do it. If that's their plan, I have no doubt that they're going to be able to find some guys that can help Deshaun Watson out immensely. For Tennessee, I keep feeling like they have these good drafts every year and they're still always sitting right around mediocre. So they need to find someone to come in and be dynamic and move their needle. I'm just unsure of where they're going to do that because they don't have these huge needs. They have a bunch of solid guys that you see all around their roster. And as for the Colts, like I said, they had the money, all the money in the world to go spend and they didn't do it, which surprised me. I wouldn't be shocked if they regressed a bit this next year unless they find four starting caliber offense and defensive players through the start of the draft to move their needle a bit. But you wanted to see them acquire more talent. I'm a bit surprised that they didn't. Yeah, you need to remind people the schedule uh, is going to be a lot difficult, a lot more difficult in this division, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I haven't done enough schedule you know, research until we get to the offseason and I break down how every team has moved through the offseason as a whole. But from what I saw, Jacksonville had, I think, one of the five hardest schedules in the NFL based on 2018 win-loss records. And that obviously will translate to the rest of the division because, I mean, a lot of they'll be taking on, obviously, some same divisions throughout the league. So it's going to be tough. That's why I think every team in this AFC South needed to nail their offseason. You know, I think Houston is on their way as long as they have a solid plan in the draft to having a decent one. I think Jacksonville's had a decent one so far that can turn into something a lot better. Tennessee and Indianapolis kind of to be determined at this point. Yeah, that NFC East last year was not a difficult division to go against. When you're facing the AFC East, it's not too difficult. This year, AFC West and Patrick Mahomes, and uh, you got some good teams with Phillip Rivers and the Chargers and the Raiders. You know, they're not good, but they could be better than they were last year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They've definitely acquired some talent. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's going to be uh, that division is going to be a lot more difficult than any of the divisions that they had last year uh, in the NFC. Which which is it? Is it the South? I think it's the South, right? I'm unsure. Yeah. I think it's New Orleans and Tampa. And yeah. Yeah. So so the divisions that they're going to be playing in each conference is going to be a, it's going to be a lot tougher. Yeah, obviously, I mean, New Orleans being a contender uh, over the past two years, uh, Atlanta, when they get healthy, can be a really good team. I think last year wasn't the team that we're typically used to seeing from them. Uh, Bruce Arians is in the fold in Tampa, so you can you can expect there to be some big changes there because he's a great coach. Uh, Carolina, I think it all hinges on Cam Newton, but I mean, a lot more talent there for sure. Good to catch up with you, and we're crossing our fingers that the Gibson move will work out. Uh, Don't know what to expect uh, from anything else in free agency, if there is anything else, even though they've got about $40 million to to deal with. And, you know, I'm a little bit more scared of Jacksonville. I mean, going from Bortles to Nick Foles, it's been a while since it felt like there was a quarterback that we were scared of with Jacksonville. Yeah, it's about time that Jacksonville landed the guy. Whether or not he's the long term guy, I, I don't think that'll be the case. But they've got as Mike Kay, who used to cover the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, in week two, he left to go cover the Philadelphia Eagles. So he has unique perspective on both sides of this Nick Foles Jaguars deal. And as he put it, 
full steps in and is already the biggest celebrity in Jacksonville. So the expectations for them to turn things around are as high as ever. It's at, at Zach underscore Goodall on Twitter at Locked On Texans, Locked On. I mean, Locked On Jaguars. I see my my uh, <laughs> my Locked On Texans is still in my head so much, but uh, at Locked On Jaguars and of course Locked On Jaguars the podcast. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. Great to catch up with you, Zach. Great to catch up with you as well. I'm sure we'll be doing this again soon. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Hey there, I'm Max Friedman. And I'm Eli Blackwood. We're hosts of Tackling the Texans, brought to you by the Pulse Podcast Network. If you love the Houston Sports Talk podcast, then you should go ahead and listen to our weekly podcast where we talk about everything exciting around the NFL and what it means for Houston. We keep you updated on all things Texans with interesting debates and hot takes, making sure to bring on NFL experts from around the industry to keep you connected. Subscribe to Tackling the Texans on Apple Podcasts or give us a listen on any available platforms.